The O3C Podcast is a proud member of the HyperX Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of the O3C Podcast, coming to you from O3C Games. My name is Jonathan Dunn, and I'm joined, as always, by my two friends, Chris Dow. Ready to talk about games. And Minty Booth. An elusive story filled with tragic choices. And we are here to talk to you about video games. And to each other. We're here, And we're here to talk to you and each other about video games. <laughs> <laughs> Announcement! Announcement! Before we dive into this week's certified rhapsody of an episode, we just want to do the usual shout-out to our main home and online platform, o3c.games, where you can find all manner of content from our fine minds. All the episodes from the podcast from the last three seasons, counting down our top 100 favourite video games of all time, all our incredible bonus episodes featuring a sterling array of special guests from the gaming industry, our amazing video content like uh, Minor Minty's co-op streaming activity on The Binding of Isaac Repentance, Chris's academic look at the lineage of video game mechanics and in-depth delvings into the Tetris-alike subgenre. There are fantastic articles on the website as well, including a brilliant new article series written by Minty, where he's using his extraordinary knowledge of the world of beers to pair drinks with video games in Pixel and pints. It is a brilliant read, even if you are a teetotaler like me. And lastly, there is space on the website if you're looking to support us from making one-off donations via PayPal, if you fancy chipping in or throwing some coffee and beer money our way, or you can browse our Patreon page and see the amazing perks on offer there in exchange for several different payment tiers of pledging. Perks such as a whole suite of exclusive bonus episodes, deleted scenes and outtakes, and access to the exclusive O3C Discord community, which is a brilliant place to join with us, chat video games, compare notes on what you're playing, chat with the rest of the community, and feed into how we develop O3C games and the podcast going forward into the future. We would appreciate the support very much and would love to welcome you into that community if you are in a position to do so. Yes. O3C.games. It's time to tap in with the HyperX Quadcast S microphone. The stunning HyperX Quadcast S features dynamic, customizable RGB lighting, a convenient tap-to-mute sensor, and four selectable polar patterns, so it can broadcast crystal clear audio, whether you're gaming, streaming, podcasting, or impressing your remote colleagues and classmates. So what are you waiting for? Join the Quad Squad and tap in today with the HyperX Quadcast S microphone. So, hello boys. Hello there. We've gathered here today in the presence of uh, <laughs> microphones to try and fit three new games into our top 100 lists. Oh, it's getting hard already, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. I mean, like, picking the games to go in there is, is, is easy because there's so many great games that we've played since doing our lists. Picking the ones to get rid of, not so easy. And I'll be honest, I have not decided what game I'm going to get rid of today. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that that decision will find me en route. <laughs> but before we talk about our amendments, uh, what have you guys been playing this week? Minty, what have you uh, what have you been playing in the last seven days? Have you been digi, digi, digitizing more monsters? Well, uh, yes. So there are 341 <laughs> Digimon that you can register in your field guide through such things as uh, Digivolving, D-Digivolving, Digiconverting, 
I'm up to 332. Oh, and it's it's got to the point now where I'm like, I'm getting diminishing returns for the amount of um, work I'm putting in at the moment. It's not necessarily work because the main way that I'm getting uh, experience for all my Digimon and getting their stats up is through the, 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 the digital farm, the Digi farm, if you will. And that's basically just an idle game. And you love an, you idle, love an game. idle game. You I fucking love an idle love game. An idle yes. game. <laughs> I do. I do. Oh, it's an idle game to help you fill out a spreadsheet to maximize the potential of a JRPG. How are you not constantly solid? We are witnessing <laughs> Minty discover his own number one here. <laughs> the Digi Farm, the idle mechanic, doesn't work when the software is closed. Oh. So. Oh, that's that's amateur idling, that is. Yeah, I think literally for the past four weeks, I've had Digimon Story Cyber Sleuth just com- constantly open on my Switch. Like If it's in sleep mode, it's fine. The game keeps running. Oh, okay. So even though I've put maybe, let's say, 110 active playing hours into this game, my save file currently has uh, 1500 hours. Okay. I've had it for about three months. <laughs> and that's just been me leaving it leaving it running in the background every night as I go to sleep, just trying to get more and more experience and more stat points so I can involve my, my little yellow poop into a silver poop. <laughs> I'm going to be the first to say that I am completely digi-pilled. Like, this is a fantastic <laughs> game. I really love it. But uh, I've, I've got more stuff to play, more stuff that I can actively play and actively enjoy. So today... I, I, I closed Digimon Story for the first time in weeks, <laughs> and I've made a start on Shin Megami Tensei Five. Oh, fantastic! Hey. Another JRPG with uh, another spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's a lot like Digimon, but instead of digital monsters, they're demons. It took me forty-five minutes to see my first penis. Oh my! <laughs> yep. Uh, I've got a photo of it that I'll send to the uh, send to the chat now. Thank you. Um, God, you will not be disappointed. Excitedly refreshing. Oh, oh no. Oh, what a treat! Huge crazy frog vibes there. Oh God, yeah. If you crossed crazy frog with that yellow bastard from Sin City, yes, and and with a bit of Avatar thrown in, Keir Starmer. Mm, no. So he did not last particularly long in my party i've um I've, I've merged him with something else to create a bigger penis no no no, no that's, <laughs> to be fair that is the only penis i've seen so far yeah i'm about three hours in and it's fine at the moment obviously i'm gonna be chipping away at it for ages and ages and ages and i'm gonna be very excited to see how the worlds of gods and humans and demons collide with each other at the moment i'm in a wasteland that's like 20 years in the future after a big demonic battle, and I'm just trying to—I don't know what I'm trying to do at the moment. I'm trying to find my way to to a tower that was ravaged. Ah, uh, the ravaged tower. The ravaged tower. I don't know what's going to be awaiting me there. Ravagers, probably. Oh, probably. Yeah. I yeah. shouldn't wonder. Yeah. Apparently, there's a there's a demon up there with a Jillian heads that breathe fire and poison. So ah, so it's got like Jillian Anderson, Jillian Jacobs. Yes. Keep, yes. keep going. Jillian yeah. McKeith. Jillian McKeith. <laughs> my cousin Jillian. Jillian Waring, the artist. All the big names. Gillian Cumberbatch. Gillian Buchanan from Art Attack. Yeah. Jack and Jilly. Yeah. Uh, Gillian Blair, the old Prime Minister. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that. Um, <laughs> tried a few unsuccessful Isaac runs as well. Uh, I think my, my, my win streak now is at minus 60. Oh my. Which characters are you trying to, to, to do runs as? Uh, keeper. 
Ah, yes. I mean, probably not playing it for, for weeks on end because I was waiting for my Digimon to basically raise themselves has probably mm-hmm. meant that 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 muscle memory and the, that, 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 that's, that skill, to be honest with you, that skill, because mm. I was good at this game once. And, and you will be again, Minty. Yeah. And you yeah. will be again. In the same way that uh, an apple falls from the tree, rots, and then spreads its nutrients to the roots of the apple tree for another apple to grow, that's what's going to happen with me and my Isaac skills. Absolutely. I shouldn't wonder. As is predictable, I have continued to play a lot of The Binding of Isaac Repentance. There's just so many good things in the game. I love it. I just... I'm not going to continue with the moon speak because if you're not familiar with Binding of Isaac, that will be... Uh, well, Chris, you've probably wake up now. <laughs> I've got Luminaires on in the background. Brilliant. Well, well, switch that off because I'm about to tell you about a game that I have played this oh. week called Darius Burst. Yes. Sorry, that's going to be- that's going to peak the microphone there. I decided to uh, to pick it up on the back of your amendment last week uh, when I was editing the episode. Just listening back to you talking about it, you just really sold me on it, oh, and I saw a- it was like fifty percent off on the eShop. So yeah, I've been having a I've been having a good time with it. I haven't played a huge amount of it it is it is really really good like i am quite desperate to play it in the arcades to properly experience that like immense widescreen aspect ratio like that proper cinematic experience yeah but even on the switch especially on the oled screen because a lot of it is in space so you've got like the black background of a lot of the scenes it just looks great and and even just seeing that wide tunnel is great (laughs) and and it's nice because you can you can just like easily you can quickly like zoom in and out as well yeah which is quite quite nice and i feel there's definitely some crossover in skills from the binding of isaac and oh, like probably, more yeah. bullet hell like aspects to that game. It took me back to some games that I used to play, like a game called Transbot on the Master System. Oh yeah, yeah, remember that? And I do. I mean, I don't think I've really got my head around Transbot because me, me and my brother just relegated it to being the butt of jokes. It, it probably was fine. I don't know. I can't really remember. But fortunately, Darius Burst is is really really good. It's got really good visuals like you said there's loads of stuff in there that suit different sort of play styles so it's not just score chasing yeah there's you know things to unlock and certain missions and stuff like that and i think i'll enjoy that other stuff more than just the the um the score chasing side of things so yeah i'm looking forward to playing a bit more of that and i've also made a start on another game which is quite exciting because i've been invited to be a guest on the next season of fellow HyperX Podcast Network podcast, Chat of the Wild, which is a fantastic Zelda-focused show. And each season, they tackle a Zelda game, or sometimes they do a Zelda-like game, and they'll cover a dungeon per episode. So they'll all play through a dungeon, talk about it in the next episode. And I'm joining them for this entire next season, and we're playing one of the DS games, Legend of Zelda Spirit Tracks. Oh, the choo-choo one. Indeed, the choo-choo one. (laughs) So we've only recorded the first episode, so far which uh i'm not sure when it's coming out it might be out by the time this episode has come out i'm not so sure but do search for the show chat of the wild on your podcast platform subscribe to the show and you'll get to hear my weekly updates on spirit tracks and uh, some excellent chat with some excellent zelda heads i'll give you a quick summary of my first impressions 
it's a cute little game that forces you to control the game entirely on the touchscreen. And <laughs> if you recall my recent thoughts playing through Skyward Sword HD, you'll know that I have limits to my patience uh, when it comes to forced <laughs> control scheme gimmicks. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how I tolerate these going forward with the game. I remember loving it when I first played it, so hopefully I'll find that joy again. But I think, um, yeah, the other guys are in the same same sort of boat, same sort of train as me. Uh, with that. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to playing more of that. And yeah, uh, back to Binding of Isaac. Chris, what have you played this week? Well, I've I've been on a strange Terminator kick this last week or so because I sat down with Georgia and watched the two original films because she'd never seen Brilliant. them. And then I picked up the old Terminator Salvation tie-in game to have a blast of just because I, I had a had the flavour on the end of my tongue. Terminator Salvation, the film was not very good and the game is, is not very good either. <laughs> but I haven't played a cover-based shooter, let alone a cover-based shooter from that generation for years. Mm. And back, you know, when I had my Xbox 360 and that was my main console, I was really hot on the first Gears of War back when that first released. Okay. And then I just, I just totally tapped out for ages. And it's been such a long time that despite Salvation being really quite mediocre, <laughs> it was quite enjoyable at the same time because, you know, it was nothing on Gears of War, which is a good version of that sort of format. But it was it was still just quite fun, the sort of pop and shoot, pop and shoot thing. And in the same way, I, I utterly despised that game Rise back when I played it on oh, the yeah. Xbox One originally. And, and then I didn't mind it when I came back to it on Steam a year or so ago. It felt similar. Like if I'd bought this at full price at the time, I would have fucking hated it. But to play it now when it cost me literally two pounds and I was just in the mood for that kind of world, it was like, yeah, it was it was fine. I didn't mind it at all. <laughs> like I played it in isolation. It, it felt quite fresh in a weird way. The game's biggest failing is probably its repetition because there's there's not that many enemies in the Terminator world, are there? There's like there's a standy one, there's a uh, crummy one. There's a melty one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, the the game is is about nine chapters long. You fight the same kind of set of robotic things again and again but because there's only nine chapters didn't mind it like i beat the whole game it pro- probably only took four hours or so oh, nice so doing it in small play sessions it was it was fine very serviceable i, I went to uh, grab the platinum trophy for it as well because all you had to do was just beat the game on hard to get that so i thought you know there's no collectibles there's nothing to waste my time on so i might as well do it and and that gave it like a little bit of challenge as well and you know the checkpointing wasn't too bad so overall yeah, a soft recommendation if you've got two quid in your pocket and a PlayStation 3. Nice. There's also there's a, there's a PlayStation 5 version of the game Terminator Resistance, uh, which was launched not that long ago. And I've been tempted to give that a go as well whilst I'm still wrapped up in like Skynet mania. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, before then, me and George have to sit through, what, four more progressively shonky films? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see. We'll yeah. see. I've also been playing through several games on my existing top 100 list to see if they still merit their places. Oh. You know, I'm trying to I'm trying to approach this really academically to see okay, games I really loved, are they still that good? Games that are a little bit lower, do they deserve to stay? Do they deserve to go up a bit? Do they deserve to come down or or cut completely in some cases? The problem is, the games I've played, they're all fantastic, yeah. <laughs> which is both a good and bad thing because it's great that I have such great taste naturally, <laughs> but it's making the job of shoehorning in other other great titles really hard. Yeah. So a, f- a few from the most recent kind of uh, docket, Super Hexagon, oh. you got a recent Android update after being broken by the operating system uh-huh. like for a year or so. It's now better than ever. 
you know, the developer Terry Kavanagh sorted it out. It now runs at whatever insane screen refresh rate your device can manage. Oh, wow. So my, my Galaxy runs it at 120 frames a second. Jesus. And it's now so ridiculously smooth that it just makes everything so much softer. Ooh, like the endless restarts just wash over you. And, you know, it's a really mechanical, angular game to look at. And yet here it's so smooth to play that it feels like organic. And and the other night before bed, I played it for a bit, like turn off the lights, thought oh, I'll do a couple of rounds of Super Hexagon before I go to sleep. And looking at the screen, that sort of distance from my face, it was like Tetris Effect on the OLED, that level of, of immersion. Oh, lovely. Just, yeah, an astonishing game still. So that, that's still on the list. That's not going anywhere. <laughs> Plants vs. Zombies. Oh, yeah. was a game I played a lot over the break with my brother Tom. And and like I said at the time when I brought this up on the list, for a tower defense heathen like me, I think it's still the most welcoming entry point to that genre by miles. Yeah. So again, it's not going anywhere. <laughs> like <laughs> we we beat the whole main game. We're now working through the survival mode. You know, it's it's getting really tough. But there's something about the way that game works. You can fail knowing that when a plan does properly come together, it's just so incredibly satisfying when you really build something that works. And every single sort of approaching zombie is just getting absolutely blitzed with watermelons and frozen <laughs> peas and everything else. Just, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Played a few stages of Peggle. Also still amazing. <laughs> like, I don't know what I was expecting going into some of these. Like, I'm, I'm 20 stages in maybe in Peggle and the muscle memory is now really starting to kick in again. Yeah. To the point where I can look at a stage and I played it so much back in the day. Like, I can clear every peg in some levels on my first or second go. It's just, it's deliriously addictive. There's uh, just... <laughs> An insane game, Peggle, really. And and Lumines, as as I've already mentioned today and last week, it's it's even more than amazing. <laughs> like I'm I'm still playing it. This time I, I boosted up the Vita version, which was called Electronic Symphony. I hadn't played this since I first got the Vita. It was one of the first games I got. And this title, not realizing at the time, but it it really sets the groundwork for Tetris Effects Journey Mode, because the single player challenge in Electronic Symphony is called the Voyage Mode. And, and every song and skin in this particular version is just so well chosen and placed to offer that same sort of sensation of peaks and troughs that Effect does so beautifully. And it's been really fascinating to play this now, like post Tetris Effect, like being in that mindset of knowing what came afterwards and really seeing it as like, you know, it was a stepping stone. It, it really was the point where they sort of thought about what a puzzle game and music could really be. And then Tetris was, you know, the, the summit kind of thing. On the list over the next week or so, I want to play some Mega Drive titles. Not to get rid of necessarily, but to definitely try and reevaluate and move around a little bit. Looking at my list, I want to go back, especially like the back end of the list, like things like Comic Zone and Dynamite Heady. Yeah. Do they still merit their places? Do they still hold up for me? Or, or has nostalgia kind of run its course a bit? Or perhaps I'll play these again and think they're even better than I gave them credit for. All of this has been really fun. It's just a very time-consuming process. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, games are cool and we all have good taste in games. So it's been it's been great to to play some good stuff. Oh, I'm glad. So shall we move on to our amendments for the week? Yep. Starting with Minty Booth. Minty, Minty Booth. what game are you adding to your top hundred list this week? And what are you ditching? Mm-hmm. What are you ditching? <laughs> oh, wow. I'm excited to be a little bit cutthroat with this entry. Um, oh for one week only, for now, the rule of Turok won't be invoked. <laughs> it's going to be a straight swap with an overrepresented franchise in my list. My little way of uh, trying to bring a little bit of justice into this really dreadful world we live in. <laughs> I'm just tired of. Oh, no. I'm tired of <laughs> pretending that. 
Pokemon is better than Digimon. And I'm tired of entertaining the idea that Digimon is a ripoff of Pokemon. It's a boring and myopic comparison that just has bleating fools pointing at the first seasons of both franchises' animes and going, well, they both got monsters. One must have copied the other. And it's definitely not the one that me and all my friends loved in primary school. <laughs> I know that people can like whatever they want, and some people can even be talented enough to like both. But I feel very passionately that the only thing that Pokemon does better than Digimon is marketing. It's the biggest entertainment franchise in the world, and more power to them, I'd say. And more power to you if you enjoy it. You're wrong, <laughs> but I won't stop you. Only joking. Pokemon Silver is my second favourite game, and it's absolutely cemented in place. It's not going anywhere, but we're not here for snippy comparisons and toothless vitriol. I've planted a flag to say that Digimon is better than Pokemon, and now I've got to justify it. So, yeah. the next game that I'm going to be putting into my top 100 is Digimon Story Cyber Sleuth. Oh, I don't know if I don't know if I know anything about that game. <laughs> yeah, can okay. you can you ref um, refresh our memories? What's, what's this one about? I didn't know if you played that one or not. <laughs> I probably haven't mentioned it, actually. It's just been one of those ones that I've had yeah. in the background um, alongside, yeah. alongside other things. But imagine if our world is uh, is like a, a cloud. cloud. I knew it was coming. <laughs> <laughs> if our world is an analog world, then Digimon come from the digital world. These two worlds collide. In most of the things that Bandai bring out, the digital world collides with the analog world at some point in the anime, in the games, in the apps, all that sort of thing. Even in the sort of, I guess, sort of the, the wearable things that they're bringing out now, which I've not been able to get a hold of because um, they did not get released over here, which I'm a little bit nettled about. But anyway, these two worlds collide in Digimon Story Cyber Sleuth in what I hope is foreshadowing, because people are getting trapped in their online personas that they use in the virtual reality of the world's biggest tech company. That includes you, the player character, but sort of in a, in a special way, because you are indeed the main character. You're trapped in a cyber body, but you can come into the real world as well, so you don't have to... I guess you don't have to eat, drink, sleep. You don't have to do anything that's actually enjoyable in this life so <laughs> you team up with a with a private detective and you basically work for them 24 7 to look into what this this company that produces the eden network which is where people are getting trapped in and just basically going into comas you're working with this detective to shed some light on this mystery and bring people to justice but then of course you realize that it's not just the company that's uh, that's the big bad in this game it's a Digimon game after all, so you're having to fight against ever-increasing hordes of more, more powerful Digimon, whilst at the same time nurturing and evolving your own Digimon to rise to the challenges. You're basically a spreadsheet that, uh, that wears clothes. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> and, yeah, that's, I think that's probably the reason that uh, this game resonated with me so much. <laughs> uh, we, we joke, but it's, it's, it's all I've been playing for the past few months, and I absolutely love it. Like, I think back to all of the things that that I had uh, growing up that were Digimon based. They had they had toys that could tran well, they had transformers that were Digimon, and you could have your little dinosaur. You could sort of open up its skull, and it they would become Jesus. it would become wings, and then you pull out its chest, turn it around, so it would become its like metal breastplate, and there was also its little head in there as well, so it could become something even bigger. And the wolf could then stand on its its hind legs and you could 
like pull its trousers down from inside mm. its ass and oh incredible stuff i i love transforming toys i really do but they also had things like um like the the digivices which were digimon's version of the pokedex really but instead of just being like a a little lcd calculator with those like very very pixelated pictures of pokemon it was uh, it was a pedometer that you could walk around with and actually fight other digimon with I really loved the anime because it was so character driven and it wasn't just, oh, I need to go from here to here to become the, the Digimon master. It focused on this group of kids that all had their own um, all had their own strengths and flaws and it explored their relationships and how they overcame the challenges of living in the digital world and the ramifications it had on their on their real lives. It was it was a very it was very mature series i think that was that's that's what was in my mind when i kept seeing this game pop up on the on the eShop. even though it was brushed off as a pokemon clone just the the quiet and mature dignity that all, all the um all the things that i'd enjoyed about the franchise they they stuck with me and i thought Do you know what i'm just i'm finally going to take the plunge on this and i'm really glad i did it's got everything that i love like you micromanage your Digimon stats to get them to where you want to be. It's got lovely character development, nice fleshed out characters. It's got a weird and bombastic story rooted in the real struggles of ordinary people. Idle mechanics and a really crazy amount of menuing. <laughs> but I think, my, I think the best thing about this game, though, for me, is the side quests. Pretty much every single side quest in the game ends up just being a, a crazy misunderstanding. <laughs> you'll, you'll have somebody post a bulletin on the bulletin board and, and, and they're saying like, oh, there's something wrong with my computer or somebody's uh, hacked my website. Can you please help me? And because you are a cyber sleuth, um, it, 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 it's in your wheelhouse. So you go in and because you are an aforementioned spreadsheet in clothes, you can jump into the computer and you'll find that there's a Digimon causing some trouble. And every single side quest basically ends up with the Digimon going, oh, sorry, I didn't realise what I was doing. Um, <laughs> okay, I'll, well, I'll stop doing that. Um, can you can you help me try and find a way that I can carry on just basically existing without hurting other people? It's really, it's really lovely. It's just like, oh. You are a sucker for a redemption story, I really aren't you? I am, yes. <laughs> yeah, there is, there's one side quest that I, did, that I did yesterday, which I think has been my favourite. There's three classically evil Digimon that are, that have been summoned to a particular network and you go and meet them and they're like, hey, are you the one that called us here? What the, what the hell do you think you're playing at? And they suddenly attack you like with no, with no indication of what you've done wrong or what, what they think you have done. And then once you, once you give them a, a, a thorough paddling, mm. uh, they, you realise that they've been, they're upset because they have been typecast as villains and they want just want a fair shake at being seen as something other than just a villain that needs to be defeated so you uh, help them team up with a group of heroic digimon to make nice little public service videos and a little movie <laughs> franchise showing <laughs> that the villains even though they are villainous they can be quite cool as well that is ridiculous it is ridiculous, and <laughs> it's 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 really charming. It's really great, and it is going into my list at number. It's going to be replacing Pokemon X at number seventy. Ah, interesting. Oh, there we go. Strong entry. 
Yeah. Too Very much, good. Yeah. There's too much Pokemon in my list, so like, like I said, this is a uh, this is me pushing the scales back a bit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I haven't uh, obviously I haven't played Digimon, but um, reassessing my list, I, th- I I think there is a bit too much Pokemon in there, particularly when Pokemon Gold or Pokemon Silver is better than all of them. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I I remember watching the uh, Digimon series a little bit when I was a kid, but I d- I never watched it with the same sort of intent as Pokemon because Pokemon was um was what we were what we were were obsessed with. And I have been on a on a on a on a quest of my own watching the Pokemon anime from the beginning when I'm looking after my daughter, which is 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 really fun. It's really lovely. She she likes the you know the obviously the the bright colors and the funny voices and all of that and, and i enjoy the trip down memory lane but but literally every episode is the same mm. it's remarkable that they managed to eke it out for as long as they they are doing it's just like well it, you just swap out the featured pokemon and do a new episode i mean like team rocket are, are always there always i mean can you imagine what their expense report to team rocket is like the sheer stuff they they managed to pull out in terms of like machinery and inventions and gadgets and devices and vehicles in terms of what they're bringing into that company versus what their outputs must be my god it baffles me anyway but yeah there is no there's no depth there's 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 absolutely no depth i've never gone back to give digimon another chance not that i didn't like it just the fact that you know if Pokemon was on, I'd watch that, and then I'd have other things to do. But you, you have thoroughly tickled my pickle, Minty, and um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I am intrigued to, to learn more and, uh, and see what else um, this other franchise has to offer me. Hmm. Consider my pickle tickled. Yeah. Moving on, we have my game, Hello. and my game that I'd like to add in this week is a game that you will often see in many people's top 10 games of all time a lot of objective greatest video games of all time and we've spoken about uh you know before and certainly i have about my frustration with the direction that a lot of AAA titles have gone in in recent years with a lot of focus either being on big online multiplayer communities and microtransactions or in the single player realm trying to replicate cinematic experiences often at the cost of good gameplay and i've played a lot of games that i think get this wrong but fortunately, I have played some that I think get the balance right. And that's why the, the full title of my entry I'm talking about this week is God of War, Not the Last of Us. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm not going to spend another episode shitting on The Last of Us. And, and, and certainly not the first game, which I think is absolutely fine. I think it's a brilliant story with some incredible writing, performances and visual design in it. And these are things that would make it a very commendable piece of television or cinema. But as a video game, I think it has mediocre gameplay and mechanics, which left me frustrated when people commend it for being an incredible video game. Because I don't think it is. Not when you substitute replicating cinematic realism for enjoyable control schemes and satisfying gameplay. It's not the only culprit of uh, taking this approach. I felt that Red Dead Redemption 2 was hamstrung by this, which is a shame because there is a lot of brilliant gameplay mechanics in there. And and I know this because I experienced a bit of it when I I dabbled in Red Dead Online, which is, you know, that's all about the pure gameplay experience. But I felt that, yeah, the the main Red Dead Redemption 2 game uh, was, it was, it was, it was too slow, far too slow to get to the point where it was enjoyable 
like gameplay wise you know to enjoy and then you've got like the assassin's creed games that just try and make the biggest open world game with the most insane amount of collectibles and side quests so that you know people can go wow this game has 200 hours of content on that statistic alone it must be a masterpiece yeah. uh, ignoring the fact that the gameplay is paper thin and extraordinarily repetitive e- even when compared to a game like skyrim which doesn't necessarily have the deepest control schemes or variety of side quests bethesda make what you're doing satisfying enough to make it enjoyable for as long as it takes to explore its enormous world so when it came to god of war initially i thought i was in for a similar experience given that a lot of the the, the early stages of the game, the the prologue, you know, had the control taken away from you as it forced you into scenarios to establish the characters and the various plot threads. And it would have you purposefully move through tight areas that you had to squeeze through and slow down so that it could load the next area fully. Stuff like that, that only really served a purpose to make the game show off more than give you a good time which I think is the wrong way to prioritise the different aspects of a game. Because when you think about it, the only reason to make you slow down and move through a room slower, the only reason that they're doing that is so that they can show you something spectacular on the other side. And that's not enhancing your experience. That's them going, "Uh, can you just just hold on a minute whilst we tell you how amazing we are? (laughs) Uh, and, And that's, you know, that's an activity for a very different sphere. Anyway, fortunately... After a bit of establishment, you take control of Kratos, uh, the titular god of the war, and your boy <laughs> Atreus following closely in your uh, warry footsteps. Son of the war. Fortunately, the game isn't a 30-hour companion quest, as your son sort of looks out for himself for the most part and can be called on to aid you in fights and stuff like that. It helps that the writing and the voice performances of both of these characters is really, really good. Like, it's all quite subtle. Kratos is a man of a few words, so a lot is said with very little, which helps you feel more at ease with the characters and the gameplay because it's not forcing these things down your throat like it does in something like The Last of Us, where, you know, you'll have a whole cutscene that looks amazing with admittedly amazing performances from the actors brilliant art direction and we'll end on an extreme close-up of a tear rolling down a character's filthy face or something (laughs) and it's all well and good that you can do that but again it feels like the developers showing off what they can do in a video game rather than think about serving the player with the best gameplay so in god of war a lot of the dialogue exchanges between kratos and his son happen during regular gameplay, not in cutscenes. It'll add another element to an otherwise maybe slightly uneventful bit of travelling you're doing, roaming across the landscape or sailing your little two-man canoe between islands. It's it's subtly done and done in a way that enhances the gameplay. And it doesn't make you stop. It doesn't make you stop and watch a film for a bit because it's not a film. And the way the game feels to play is fantastic. Like, the combat feels like a cross between that sort of specific tactical weapon play that you have in something like Dark Souls crossed with the more button-mashing, combo-driven fighting in a Platinum game like Bayonetta. And the RPG elements in the game mean that you're constantly evolving your fighting style, your weapons and your abilities, which is is just continually fun and satisfying to do because, you know, if, if you don't feel like a total badass, near indestructible hench of a man, then... What's the point in playing as the God of War? You may as well just play as, um, I don't know, 
Keith. <laughs> Keith of the war. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, co- combat and movement feel brilliant. It's silky smooth and seamless to link it all together. It's exactly what a game like this should feel like. And again, this is something I've said about games in the past. It doesn't forget that it's a game. It doesn't pretend to be a film or an overtly cinematic experience or try and make you feel like this is all happening right in front of you. There is levelling up and crafting and high score challenges and boss battles and all all the things that make games so gamey, you know, like a top-notch grouse. It's all in there and they make the most of this story being told in this medium by making it a fun place to be and a fun place to explore. Whereas something like The Last of Us is trying so damn hard to make the game a film that they have to sacrifice so many things that the video game medium could have given their story in order to make it as a video game, which is paradoxical at best and just silly at worst. I just, it frustrates me. And I know that I've implied here that the developers of God of War aren't showing off with this game, which would potentially suggest that the game wasn't as technically impressive as other games. But that simply isn't true because the game is breathtaking and jaw-dropping in frighteningly equal measure. And it's 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 right that a lot of people use this God of War game as an example of what that generation of consoles are capable of. And to be honest, even like it's going to take something really quite extraordinary to show what this next generation of consoles, the PS5 and Xbox Series, whatever it's called, you know, can do. <laughs> because God of War has got a PS5, a slight PS5 upgrade, and it's only down to those design bits where like those bits where it sort of forces you through a little nook or cranny it's only because those things are built into the game that it reminds you that it's you know it's it's from a previous generation because other than that it looks it looks unbelievable it really really does but again crucially the priorities are in the right place yes it looks incredible yes it's got an enormous stunning detailed world but it's fun to play and it has a great story. And the story at the heart is actually quite brilliantly simple. It's essentially, I guess it's essentially a coming of age road trip. A father and son take a pilgrimage to honor the passing of their mother and wife. Now, what I'm about to say next, this is <laughs> this is an unlikely comparison and I'd wager one that, that hasn't been made before. But Here we go. Having a simple, <laughs> having a simple premise and through line that is clear and serves as a guiding beacon to the audience through everything else that is going on around it is rarely done well but i would go <laughs> i'd go so far to say that god of war is the paddington 2 of video games <laughs> <laughs> i wish i'd played it so i could at least have an opinion on this <laughs> <laughs> like in, in paddington 2 the story is quite simple paddington wants to buy the right birthday present for his aunt and despite all manner of calamities and cameos that befall the Peruvian bear in the adventure, we know that that aim is what is in his heart, guiding his choices and his movements through the story. And in God of War, that means that no matter how big and epic things get around you, no matter the sheer size and scale of the world and the monsters and the literal gods that you come up against, it always comes back to that central storyline running through it, a father and a son trying to ascend the mountain, and it grounds you in everything else that's going on, everything else that you might just go, that's ridiculous. It comes back to something very human and very real. I think I spoke about this aspect of the game before when talking, I think it was when I was talking about Half-Life 2 and how that game brilliantly has you 
pretty much in control of Gordon Freeman for the entire game, even when the action stops for a cutscene. You can still run and jump around and, yeah, you can pay attention to what's happening in the room or just pick shit up and throw it at everyone. And, you know, whilst that wasn't necessarily the most realistic way of engaging with the story beats, it gave you a level of connection to your player that you lose when control is taken away from you and you sit back from your keyboard or controller. And whilst God of War doesn't quite do this, the wonderful thing it does do is present the game as a single unbroken camera shot. So your direct control over Kratos may be taken away periodically, but the camera never leaves him. And that gives a terrific sense of connection and tension to the game. Like if you're watching live theatre and you know there's nothing that could stop someone fucking up or going off-piste. It's always slightly on edge. Or, you know, if you're watching like a single-take or pseudo-single-take film like Birdman, or extended fight and action scenes in like Children of Men or Old Boy, or even like the last couple of Bond films, you are still connected to Kratos. There is no respite from his journey for you. You are with him through every single step, every single fight, every single punch. It doesn't let up. It's quite brilliant. So, where is this game going in my list? Now, I don't know. Let me have a look. <laughs> we'll come back to this point of, like, objectivity and that debate, because I think technically and artistically, this is one of the strongest games that exists. You know, and I said, it, it straddles that line between superb gameplay and technical showcase so, so well, pleasing, I mean, clearly, like, pleasing both the mainstream AAA release fans and people like me and, you know, you two as well, who prefer to game off the beaten track, so to speak. And I love the game, and I love it. But, again, it is only a game that I've played fairly recently, so it's not one that I have a huge amount of, you know, personal connection to. I don't know what I was doing in my life when I was playing it. I mean, probably just probably in lockdown or something. It doesn't have any sort of nostalgia uh, linked to it. But it is quite, it's quite superb. It is quite superb. And I think I'm whacking it into my list. It's going in a fair few places above uh, Superliminal that I spoke about last week. And I'm going to slot it in between WarioWare and Wario Land 2. <laughs> what a strange little place for it to live. <laughs> very, very strange place for it to live. <laughs> God of Wow. Oh, <laughs> he's nailed it. <laughs> I think I probably would have been tempted to put it above Wario Land 2 if it wasn't for both of you making me feel like an idiot for having it so low down in yeah, my list. You fucked up. Uh, <laughs> I haven't, to, be, uh, to be fair, I haven't actually replayed it since then. Yeah. And maybe, I, I, you know what? How about I try and I'll, I'll, I'll play it before the end of this season and then reappraise it. Yeah, as please do. This. Please do. It's so good. <laughs> but for now, God of War is, uh, yeah, is, is, is sitting in sitting in around about that point, sort of in the low 80s, the high 80s, depending on which way you look at the list. Mid 80s. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of game, a game I'm going to get rid of... Oh, okay, yeah. I'm going to get rid of... I'm actually going to get rid of the first Thief game that I had in my list because there is nothing in that game that isn't done better in Thief 2. And Thief 2 is significantly higher on my list it's top 10 game yeah so yes goodbye thief the dark project hello god of war the <laughs> god project <laughs> chris why don't you finish us off with your amendment please midway through our original top 100 episodes i got a message from a university friend called yaz and i'd not heard from him in quite a while but they had apparently been listening to the show since its inception. And that was very nice to hear. And he was really kind about, you know, what we were doing. And he, he signed off the message he sent me with words to the effect of, 
Looking forward to seeing where Zuma ends up placing. Uh, uh, oh. Now, Zuma is another PopCat puzzle game yeah. that, like Plants vs. Zombies and Peggle, I had played for hundreds of hours. And it is also a game that, in putting together my original list, I had completely forgotten existed. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just completely. Was not even a conscious, like potential it wasn't in the honorable mentions it wasn't in the long list i just didn't remember it was a game so obviously not that good well this is the thing like zoom is a really simple match three puzzler and for anyone that's not played it you have a little frog somewhere on the screen and you can shoot colorful orbs in 360 degrees and a seemingly endless run of orbs moves ever closer to like a goal on each level and all you're trying to do is just keep them at bay so they don't get to that goal by firing from your fixed position and then causing kind of like balls to disappear and then the, the chain will, will eventually go. And it's it's super simple to understand. But as with almost all of PopCap's earlier work, there's a huge amount of depth to the title. And I, I just can't believe I didn't remember it was a thing back then. <laughs> like it's it's got real real depth. Like, like I say, like keeping up combos and matches increases your score, which in turn will end the level quicker. You can set up cascades of colours that will then suck back the snaking line of orbs to give you more breathing room. You get power-ups that can be used to buy you a bit more time or to clear up messy parts of the the orb train that would otherwise prove challenging to manage under pressure. And then you've got additional kind of skills, like as the orbs are, are twisting around the stage, sometimes they'll cross over one another. And if you clear a hole in the line that's closest to you, you can then shoot through that hole to, to get like a gap bonus and things like that. There's all sorts of ways to play it when you get good that just, as with all their games, is just really satisfying to master. So there's, there's like a surprising depth to it, you know, in how you eventually play each stage, even if your early instincts when you first pick it up is just, you know, shoot the colourful things and, and try and survive. Now. In the wider world, I don't think anyone would care about an omission from a list such as this. You know, as much as the top hundreds have become sacrosanct documents for us three, the world will still turn whether or not Zuma gets a place on the scroll. (laughs) (laughs) But Zuma's inadvertent exclusion became one of those small niggles that genuinely stressed me out a bit over the last few (laughs) years. Because it was like, I, I played it for a lot of time. And I just, I couldn't believe that I'd forgotten about the game and the wider series. I've got very fond memories of the original Zuma and I've got very fond memories of the more polished sequel Zuma's Revenge. Like back at university when, you know, I remember Yaz being sat on the floor of my dorm room in the first year and we were taking it in turns to play levels on Zuma and we'd set off chains of colours and, and everything else. And every time he got one of those kind of like big cascades, uh, Yaz would whisper, suck back <laughs> in like this horrible, <laughs> creepy voice. And that's like, that's embedded in my head. I can hear him doing it now. And I remember us trying and failing to to beat the last chunk of the adventure mode for months, something I've still never done oh. in that game, as well as trying for a long, long time as well to get a specific achievement for clearing a stage in eight seconds, which essentially means you can fire about three shots and, and then you're done. So you have to just get lucky with the balls that, that are fed to you. But again, never did it. We, we tried for a very long time, but I never did it. Now, when Revenge came out, I'd graduated, so I didn't play this one with Yaz, but I have perhaps an even more vivid memory of playing through the whole campaign of it in a single sitting with my mum sat behind me, sat on my bed when she'd just been discharged from hospital after like several really scary months of operations and observation. Yeah. And it's, it's those two things, like these, these real memories that make it a game that I had to include somewhere. Like I couldn't not find a place for the game because taking the original Zuma, 
university was such a particular time in my life and sharing games with Yaz, I think was a real big part of the experience for me because, you know, I went to a hippy dippy arts college and <laughs> we were talking about what we were playing in a way that felt different to the casual conversations most people would have about video games and that I'd had before I was there, I think. You know, we, we were talking about what is happening mechanically and, and what's happening aesthetically. And all these weird conversations took place around this stupid Aztec-themed frog-fronted casual puzzle <laughs> game. You know, that, that part's irrelevant. It's, it's just about that period of time and what this changing approach to games represented for me. You know, in, in my second year of university, I did a whole project that was about trying to find the, the art in a single pixel. I did a piece where I took the most dull game I could find. So I chose Call of Duty 3 at the time <laughs> and I recorded a load of footage of playing it and then essentially continued to shrink down what I had until I was just focusing on a single pixel and then blew that up on, on huge screens to try and show that there's an awful lot going on in this tiny dot. So surely all games have this value. And, and that would have started because we had a dumb conversation around Zuma. And then Zuma's Revenge, you know, so much of my adult life has been taken up with family health issues. Revenge represented a period of rare calm, of, of like perceived health success, and that sort of familial closeness and support that, you know, is just so, so important. I've mentioned this already today, but when we kicked off this season, I started putting aside time to replay some of the games I'd shortlisted for inclusion, as well as those that I'd earmarked to potentially bin. And when I got round to Zuma's Revenge, I played this a few weeks ago now, I played through the entirety of the main campaign in a day. I mopped up most of the kind of adjacent challenges over the following few days. And then I, I ground out the final trophy that had always eluded me the first time around again. This was beating the Iron Frog 10-stage gauntlet mode. <laughs> and it's, it's not an exaggeration when I say this mode in particular that takes maybe 20 minutes start to finish if you complete it and, and you're good enough. It took me 40 hours of grinding over the course oh of a month. God. But every failed attempt, I'd, I'd put the game down and then a few hours later, I'd, I'd have this second win to go back again. And that feeling of being pulled back time after time is is why the game had to make the cut as well. You know, it has kind of a particular place in my memories of when I played the games in this series, but also because clearly it's it's another perfect puzzle game by PopCap. <laughs> and I, yeah, I just really love it. Like, it's not going to play super highly because there are many games that I love more, but it is a great pickup and play puzzler that like Bomber Raid here is kind of representing more than just the idea of that being a simple shoot up or this being a, a match three title, you know? So I'm going to put it at the tail end of the list for now, essentially, in at what is 99 at present, just above Bomberade. And I'm actually going to hoik out Spelunky today uh. Uh, because it is a game that I love very, very dearly to talk about and think about and, and to intellectualize and to waffle about. But in practice, I'm really, really shit at it. <laughs> You're not the only one. Yeah. <laughs> My progress in that game has always been glacial. Yeah. Uh, and, and so after three years in the sun, I think it's, it's going to get the boot. It's not to say it's not a, a brilliant title, but clearly that sort of uh, roguelite or roguelike platformer is, is not really my wheelhouse. And I think I just wanted to say, it's a good game, everyone. It's really well made. But at the same time, I enjoy playing Zuma's Revenge more. <laughs> so <laughs> that's that's what is going to join the list. With PopCap, amazingly, now boasting a triple header of titles for me. Casual game makers PopCap are just dominating the list at this point. That's extraordinary. I've played a little bit of Zuma. Uh, I hate it. <laughs> just because I, I find it so, so stressful. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, it's designed to be like that anyway. But also because if you add in um, colorblindness, colorblindness? Uh, to that, <laughs> even yeah. if it's just a fraction of a second to go, 
what colour's that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and even if I know it instantly, it's still a, a, an extra process that happens in my brain yeah. that then um, exhausts me. But I'd like to watch you play it. I'm, I'm okay in it. Obviously, I beat that mode and it was tough. But it's weird that the time I was, I was doing best... Like if I sat down and focused, often I'd fail on like stage two or three of the 10. Yeah. The times I, I really made progress was when Georgia was talking to me and I was trying to hold down another conversation. <laughs> so it's it's definitely one it's definitely one of those games where it's like if you can disconnect your brain a bit, so it's running purely on autopilot, yeah. you do it better. In in the same way like driving a car, when you were conscious of driving a car when you first learn, it's a fucking nightmare. Like I, I hated every moment of learning. And now when it's the thing that I know how to do, that is my, I'm processing it in the background. I'm not thinking about driving. I'm thinking about going to work. I'm thinking about what I'm listening to or whatever else. You find a different skill set. And I think puzzle games really lend themselves well to that. There we go. Words for us all. <laughs> So, there we have it. That is another three games going into our top 100 lists. First of all, we had... Digimon Story, Cyber Sleuth. And then we had God of War. And then finally... Zuma's Revenge. I mean, what a triptych. What an eclectic mix. <laughs> oh, I love it. It's a good show, isn't it? It's a good show. Nobody else would compare Paddington 2 to God of War. Nobody else would have three PopCap games in their top 100 lists. <laughs> so for once, Minty, you're probably the most ordinary of the three of us this week. Wow. Mr. Spreadsheet over there. As Minty drafts an email to Tinder requesting a new category of filtering <laughs> spreadsheets in clothes. <laughs> the added. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please do check out our website, o3c.games. Have a read about articles on there watch our videos go back through some of the old episodes of the podcast and head over to o3c.game slash support if you want to get involved with what we're doing you can send us a little bit of a bit of woo-hoo-hoo via paypal if you want to say thanks or have a coffee on me we'd we'd love that i'd very much appreciate that or you can go to our patreon page which is uh, there's a link to it on the website but it's also patreon.com slash o3c games and you can see a whole range of tiers of uh, pledging that uh, you can you can subscribe to if you want to be even more involved by doing that and subsequently joining the discord channel and we'd love to chat with you there that'd be great or you can reach out to us individually. I'm on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. I am at Chaz underscore Hodges. Clement underscore Blue. And do you join us next week when we will be amending our lists even further with uh, with another triptych of games? Will it be as eclectic as this week's? Who knows? Probably not. But maybe because we will play and enjoy literally anything. <laughs> Need some adventure in your life? What Mad Universe is a podcast where two guys delve into the history of sci-fi, fantasy, and horror, and the impact it's had on pop culture. Everything's the same politically, but we have ray guns. The the actual motive isn't to explore something that's, quote, yeah. scientifically possible. Or... But neither is Star Wars, and I know there's Shh. arguments about that, but I would definitely consider Star Wars science fiction. You haven't it's... read Dune! You have, no, I haven't. You can never be the Kwisatz Haderach. What Mad Universe on the HyperX Podcast Network. Previously on Chat of the Wild. But what we have to do is there are these seeds in these little holes that we have to put specific water on mm-hmm. to make them grow up. And we get the Mario uh, sound effect for the vines going up. Yes. Like it's what, what exactly is the sound effect for Mario that they use? <laughs> Can you guys just do that simultaneously again? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Chat of the Wild.
breaking down Zelda and Zelda-like games, one dungeon at a time. Wednesdays on the HyperX Podcast Network. The O3C Podcast is part of the HyperX Podcast Network. HyperX is our sponsor and the maker of the acclaimed Quadcast and Quadcast S microphones. Quadcast USB mics look and sound amazing and they're packed with features. With four selectable polar patterns you'll get great sound no matter what you're recording. The included shock mount and pop filter mean you won't have to shell out extra cash for a great setup. Then there's the eye-catching LED indicator and tap-to-mute sensor, so you can tap in and tap out to stop broadcast accidents. It's time for you to tap in with the HyperX Quadcast and Quadcast S.